why don't you guys give the people and me listening and the people an introduction to who you guys are and what you guys dedicate your time and lives to? Cool. You want to start? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) You can start. (laughs) Anyone has any idea who I am, they will probably most likely know me through um, fitness, coaching, health, education company called JPS Health and Fitness. Uh, I've recently just moved on from there, but um, yeah, that was that was really big part of my development. Um, yeah, ready for some new challenges and and things like that now. Um, getting into similar work to what Josh is doing, so I'll let him elaborate on that. And yeah, probably spend a fair bit of my time thinking, writing, podcasting, and currently trying to learn how to uh, program a computer and have just gone back to school to study a bachelor's of artificial intelligence. So that's my background, I guess. This is going to be an interesting conversation. Okay. (laughs) Josh? Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, and Linda mentioned, I started out in the fitness industry as well. Um, so as you do, make your way up through the ranks with Woodford and um, then work with Lyndon. Did some teaching stuff there as well, but uh, probably like a year ago, I moved, uh, made a bit of a lateral shift into the mental health industry. Um, so I'm studying psychology at the moment, uh, although that's a little bit up in the air because I might move into something else. <laughs> Um, but I'm just not sure at the moment. Um, but yeah, so I work in mental health. Um, again, like Lyndon, I spend a lot of time reading and thinking and podcasting and, um, you know, I, I guess like probably to encapsulate us both, we're just both curious people. And, um, yeah, we found we were having like three hour long conversations on the weekend. So we thought like, why don't we start recording them and just putting them out? And, um, that's what we do with our podcast. Um, that's philosophy then- AU. Yeah, Philosophy AU, that's right. Yeah, so I guess that's a bit about me. Okay. I want to go to artificial intelligence. I'd love to hear from both of you, but particularly you, Lyndon. What do you guys think? Because obviously this is like we're an education company. We we deliver certain threes and fours, personal training, coaching, health, wellness, fitness. But how do you guys think artificial intelligence will impact the health, wellness, and fitness industry now? and what people should look out for in order to adapt with the times instead of being caught behind it? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and I'll definitely preface this with, I am an absolute white <laughs> in the artificial intelligence realm. Um, and even if I wasn't, it is still all speculation. Like if yeah. I'd been you know, working a research lab on artificial intelligence for the last 15 years. Like even those people have been wildly wrong in the past and we can only presume that pattern will continue. Um, I am probably of the general opinion, and this comes from someone like Tyler Cowan, who writes for a blog called Marginal Revolution, uh, that the future will be dominated by people who are really good at technical skills, such as, programming computer, um, heart surgery, anything that's sort of really complex and takes a lot of time and effort and dedication, um, or the people who are really good at dealing with people. Like if you're not good at working with some kind of 
intricate and complex technology or really good at dealing with people, then the future will probably leave you behind. That's probably a general um, thing or a general idea that I've subscribed to. And the reason I'm saying that is because I think like personal training or teachers or educators or anyone helping with mental health, wellness, that, that is a very people-facing thing. And I don't think artificial intelligence is just going to leave everyone behind in that regard. Like there will still need to be plenty of people dealing with people. Um, where we will see something like artificial intelligence creep in is possibly with uh, like increased ability, increased like diagnostic abilities and things like that. Like we see uh, better, better uh, diagnoses coming from, say, an artificial intelligence in regards to like picking up uh, cancer cells as opposed to um, someone who's been practicing medicine for like 50 years. And I think those kinds of uh, patterns will then begin to creep into health and wellness, not clinical medicine per se, but actually it looks like this person might be a little bit deficient in vitamin B, or this person is probably, you know, based on some huge amount of data that we've been tracking on this person's phone um, and all kinds of things like this, their phone calls, their movements. This person's probably actually like under-socialized this week. So I just think we'll start to pick up uh, things that are a little more just hidden beneath the surface at this stage. Like we haven't quite developed the terminology or the research or things like that. Um, And yeah, I think artificial intelligence will help with that because as humans, we are quite perceptually limited and yeah, I'll leave that there. Okay. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, I basically agree with everything like, I think one thing about um, like the AI, AI revolution or, you know, this technical technological revolution we're going through is that I think there's like a false idea that there's going to be this like tipping point or this one apex or this one focal point where everything changes. But like, and that's a lot of the fear behind all this pseudo fear behind AI. It's like, oh, when, when AI gets here, it's like the reality is it is here. It's just in a crude method, like um, technologies that Lincoln's been speaking about, they're already here. Yes, of course, it's going to get better and better, but I think people have this idea about artificial intelligence and robotics that there are going to be, like, um, these actually walking robots like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they think of that as AI, but AI is, like, you know, in our phones and, you know, in the algorithms that run our lives. And uh, I think that, obviously, there's cause to be uh, cautious with it, um, but there's quite clearly a lot of... Um, low-hanging fruit and benefits that we're going to get from AI, like self-driving cars. You know, a lot of people are fearful of that, but when you consider there's roughly 40,000 fatalities in the United States on the roads, if you take away the human error, um, you're potentially saving, you know, 30 or 40,000 lives a year. Um, And evolution is going to happen, so we just need to figure out how to best adapt to it and, you know, make it an amicable outcome rather than a you know, and not a good outcome, I think. Hmm. Okay. And speaking of, you know, adapting to it, you guys, or Lyndon, you brought up dealing with people, right? That's going to be kind of this consistent trait that many of the most skilled or a part portion of the most skilled 
will take advantage of and utilize to be of service to the world. I wonder, that's something it's not really taught. You kind of just learn through the fire of life how to deal with people. But if you guys, I know you guys like a great, or you guys are thinkers. You guys ponder and reflect and philosophize. And, and I really enjoy this too, like being up in your head. Like it's a fun kind of thing to do, to theorize. But let's turn it into practical. If you guys could design a course that could teach people how to deal with people at any moment in someone's life, maybe you get them when they're an adolescent or a, or, a, or a preschooler, maybe there's a variety of different courses for each age group. What's that curriculum look like? What what do you skills do you teach them? And maybe as a framework to get people who might be a little stuck now socially, what what is the low hanging fruit there? Where can they go? What can they learn? What should they learn? Yeah, um, like funnily enough, I think there is already a pretty good system in place called evolution. <laughs> um, like I'm not you know not trying to belittle the point. I do understand that, and you know we would definitely agree that. It would be great if there was probably something a little bit more structured as well. Um, but, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is I would just say, like, really understanding different perspectives because I think that is one of the biggest things that we talk about on the pod and that we've both learned through meditation. And I know you're probably the same, Alex, that understanding that people not only have different thoughts than yourself um, but have different feelings and different points of views and different visions as well. That's a really important one, like different visions of how they see the world and then how that manifests in their language and their action. Um, so I would say that's probably the biggest one for me. Um, I'll let you continue on, Don. Yeah, so I'll probably say is one of the reasons we have such difficulty in communicating or teaching um, people skills is one because so much of it is implicit and hidden beneath the surface like other things we learn say throughout school we are more consciously or explicitly taught and we manipulate that information that you know and within our mind's eye and we sort of play it over whereas so much of social skills is just absorbed implicitly and beneath almost conscious awareness so that makes passing it on really difficult you know, the best the best people people are super intuitive with it yeah. and don't necessarily know why or how you know to teach um, why they're good at it and how to teach it. The other thing I'll say is it's really complex. Like that's that's why we have say difficulty in the artificial intelligence realm mm. of programming these really humanistic elements into computers because just human interaction is one of the most cognitively demanding things that that we do. Um, a few things that I'll touch on that I really agree with Josh is like perspective taking. That's that's the biggest one, I think, or one of the biggest ones. And that seems to be like relatively well taught um, through something like uh, reading of complex fiction. So there's some research showing that you just, that simulation of pretending you are, like you don't even consciously recognise that you're, or like, actively try to undertake that activity you're not thinking i'm going to simulate what this character is feeling it's just you start to do it as you're reading the book you're just going mm -hmm. oh and this and that and it's you're mapping out all the implications of that so that seems to be really useful for um developing empathic skills uh meditation i think is another good one just sort of the the delusion of the boundaries of the self and others and the third thing i'll probably say is 
I don't think we're like necessarily miles off the mark with whatever people skills course you might go to on the weekend. Like just take any sort of corporate course and just sign up for it and go to it. I think the biggest thing is everyone goes into those courses thinking it's a joke. Like they just treat it like Mm -hmm. uh, this is, you know, those uh, trust activities where someone like falls back and catches you. And like if you actually undertook that with uh, care and concern for what the content is surrounded around, then I think you could actually develop the skills that it presupposes to teach. But, yeah, we all kind of, it's cool to belittle things for some reason. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why courses don't like, don't, oh, sorry, like that don't work in a corporate setting very often is because everyone adopts a negative attitude towards it before it's even begun. Mm, like it's stigmatized. Um, you, you both, I think, mentioned something along the lines of one of the most common things that you see is people lack perspective. Oh, do you guys mind elaborating on that? Do you mean as in seeing the other person or feeling the other person's point of view? What, what did you guys mean by that? Uh, um, more or less that I think just probably not thinking about it enough um, and just really maybe like really taking it seriously and uh, really stepping back and trying to like create space with your your immediate reactions in a state like I'm, I'm thinking specifically in like a confrontational situation yeah. right uh, uh, trying to make space between your immediate reaction um and what you might actually say or do had you given yourself 30 seconds or so just to think oh you know what hang on perhaps they didn't have the worst intentions in mind when they said this thing um so i do think well obviously uh there is the capacity there for people to be better perspective takers number two i don't think it takes that much to do um but i think perhaps just like a little bit more practice um, and giving yourself more time to actually take that perspective. Um, Yeah, that's what I'll probably say. How do you guys practice that? Uh, Because especially in the health fitness industry, you you see it so often. People just, they will, we, we will belittle other people's points of view and judge them harshly and sometimes... We should fairly and do that, but there seems to be a, a disconnection between actually seeing the merit in someone else's diametrically opposed point of view. So I wonder. I think Josh, you're alluding to it. Like, how do you guys create create that space to feel and see the other person's perspective instead of an emotional reaction? Um, it's a really tough one, and I think. Personally, this is where something like meditation has been really useful for me is just I don't think you can be – you can't be aware of just how blinded by emotion you are until you have sort of tried to disentangle yourself from that. Like it's – the emotions have always been there your whole life and it's not until you try to undergo that that very effortful activity of like peeling yourself off the emotion and having a, a sort of a self that exists uh, like unrelated to any emotion. Um, and I think once you recognize 
the difficulty in doing that within yourself, you have a lot more um, sympathy and empathy for others. And even if, like, say, you still think someone is wrong, mm. you can at least understand why they are going at you in such a, let's say, bullheaded manner, like just so aggressively or so closed-mindedly and attacking you almost. Like, it's, I guess I've, I'm just quite a subscriber to, like, the whole idea of if I was you, I'd be acting in that way too. Like, that is, I guess, fundamentally true of everyone. Mm. Like whenever someone is acting in some way that you disagree with, there is something within their priors that is making them interpret that situation in the way that makes them act that way. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, and that intention or that uh, intention to try... I think it's almost like you're trying to start with empathy. Like, yeah, like I would think and feel that if I was you, right? And you drop down that first initial emotional feeling of judgment if you begin with that type of self-talk. So I think that I think that can be quite valuable then if you begin. It's like is that conscious effort that you guys try and make. Do you guys like have a system? Because I think it's such a valuable skill set. Is it like a system or of talk that you guys run through your head when you're in those moments of heated conversation yeah absolutely um like yeah and again largely not to beat a dead horse but largely coming back to meditation yeah um because it's all it's all about just noticing right like if you are like one thing that you hear a lot in a common thread going through meditation is just that we are always lost in thought right and you're identifying with your thoughts and emotions and feelings um and you're not again like creating any space or like stepping outside that to be able to view it for what it is um and so I think that it is really a central part of it, just being able to uh, recognise that your emotions are just that um, and just practising that and practising that because there really there isn't any other way around it than when you're in those situations. Um, just, again, trying to step back and be like, okay, maybe they don't think that. Maybe this is partly a story or a narrative that I'm creating in my own head. Mm. What would it look like from someone else's perspective? What is the most charitable way that I can put this? And what would it mean for me to actually believe that? Um, as opposed to them, as opposed to you thinking that this other person hates you or doesn't want you around or wants you fired or wants to, uh, what is it, expel you from the group. What about giving that the most charitable explanation or narrative in your own head? And then what would happen then? And how would you react then? Mm. Um, and then actually taking that on and then seeing how things change. Because a lot of the, a lot of the time, these can be self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Like if you create a narrative in your head around someone not liking you, you believe that and then you behave in a manner that the, you don't like them or they don't like you and it just creates a snowball. Mm. What do you think are the biggest traps then we get ourselves into? Like the biggest like bias, cognitive biases or logical fallacies that we trap ourselves that you guys have realized that you, you to observe in day-to-day -day life that if we became more aware of it, so much of life could be, you know, less friction and more, yeah, just less friction. Methods of rationality. Just yeah. going. Um, the sort of... To bounce off that question, sort of relate it back to the previous one about dealing with people. One of the, the simplistic kind of models that I use is drawing 
like four squares, like a, a quadrant kind of model in my mind of like, okay, let's take an argument with someone. Um, and like typically we focus on the strengths of our argument and the weaknesses of theirs. And then I try to sort of just do that, like, you know, you represent you within a column and them within a column. And I'm thinking of my strengths, which might be at the top and their weaknesses, which might be at the bottom of their column. And then the result is I'm, I'm focusing on sort of just diagonal quadrants. And what I try to like consciously try to do is just think, okay, like what are the weaknesses? Like, what am I blind to? What am I forgetting about within my own argument? And what am I doing? Uh, what am I forgetting about the sort of the strengths of theirs? And that's sort of that, that simple model for me, at least. And it's not always like super easy. Like even someone who I say, even someone like I'm, quite a rookie still in all these regards but you know I'm really trying to get better at these things and many people are sort of just going with the flow on them and I still succumb to the you know the weaknesses and the fallacies and the the biases um so it should not be surprising that someone else does so I, I try and then bounce off that again and be like okay well Lyndon like you're imperfect this person's like not even working on the same endeavors that you are of course they're going to be mm. very um they're going to suffer from a lot of confirmation bias or you know they're going to be very egotistical in arguments and and things like that so yeah that's um like you mentioned a couple of the common fallacies and biases that we all send us tend to stumble upon um a really another good one is the fundamental attribution error so this is the fallacy where it's psychological fallacy where if you, Alexander, if you make a mistake, that's due to something in your character. So that's what I place on you. However, if I make a mistake, that's due to my circumstances. So because I was late today, that was due to traffic. But if you were late, that's because you're a shitty person. Mm. That's how I would play it in my head. So that's that's a really, really common one where, again, we're all just giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Um, whereas everyone else, we're saying it's something terrible about them. Um, but there's so many of those. That's a great one. What was that called? The fundamental attribution error. Okay. All right. I got it. That's, I've done that shit. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, we all have, right? <laughs> we're all human. That, that is just, yeah. Observing humans 101 on a daily basis. Like someone trips on a step and just like, oh, Josh is so clumsy. Right. And, the next time you trip on that step, it's like, who put that step there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Humans are so great, but like we're so flawed as well. It's really, it's, it's, it's quite, oh, we're just crazy chimps. Oh. Um, that's an interesting point you make, right? Like we are so great, but we're so flawed. It's, it's all in context, right? Like we're great cavemen and we're great at surviving, but we're yeah. so flawed in this modern weird society where we're trying to you know squish 25 million people into a country all from different areas different backgrounds and trying to run markets and you know trying to get educated and create technology like we're flawed for that but we're really good at just like surviving and yeah. making it to the next day you know what i mean yeah that is it's just depends on the context of how you view that um which is I guess the fun thing, um, because I'm a fan of humans. I'm team human, you know. <laughs> I like us. I would like us to yeah. keep going and keep progressing. Um, I mean, there's so many philosophy and the, these conversations that they can go in a lot of directions. It can be like 
I could think it could be a bit like mental masturbation. You can just kind of ponder and pontificate, and it's like it's it's cool. Um, yeah. And I think we'll continue to do that for a little bit because, but also trying to get practical. Uh, philosophy, well, in a world or a country or I don't know, it depends. Uh, a lot of people they get indoctrinated into re- religion. Um, not of their own choice, but just because that is how they grew up. They grow, Some people grow up and then they realize and question things and they distance themselves from it and find their own meaning that is detached from the religion that they were taught. And I, in a lot of ways, stoicism and other f- uh, philosophical points of view have come to replace that for some people. And for you guys, I wonder, well, what is your philosophical operating system? You know, if you had in the context of programming, like what are the, what are the programs like for you guys? What are the values and programs that you guys are running on your philosophical operating system? Yeah, you're asking the big questions, Alex. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> imagine living in my head. It's just, <laughs> um, I guess to put, categories on it and this is something josh and i have spoken about previously i i am very informed by utilitarian principles uh and what i draw from that is like whatever i possess or whatever i perceive to be the importance of my welfare like other people have welfare or well-being um that while i might not weight their well-being as important as mine there is, say, some number of people, because other people have well-being that's not zero, and whatever you obviously multiply zero by, you can't generate a number larger than zero. But because other people have well-being and welfare, there is some number of people where the collective group needs would override mine. Mm. Like, even if I weight my well-being of importance 99 and you know someone else's as 0.001 like there is a number where the collective well-being supersedes mine okay so it's like i'm gonna jump on the grenade and protect everybody Mm. uh i'd sacrifice myself but what what number is that how do you know Would, that would obviously then depend on the strength of the relationship you have with those people like if we're taking the the literal jumping on a grenade like a mother would very likely jump on a grenade if she was pretty sure it would save her children, like even one of her children. But if it comes to someone on the street, like you're, it's a little bit more of a toss up. Like it's odds are you're probably going to want to save yourself Mm. unless you have it on good authority that the person on the street you're saving is, you know, mother Teresa or something like that. Like, and even with that said, it's very difficult to do all those value calculations in the, you know, the instant moment. So I'll say your utilitarianism, but... Okay, what else? Uh, I'll pass it over to Josh. We, maybe we'll go one for one here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think like utilitar- utilitarianism, utilitarianism, pardon me, covers a lot of ground. Um, and again, something we speak about a lot is, you know, not not subscribing to say one central doctrine, but using like an amalgamation of doctrines or principles or philosophies, and they complement each other. Because when you 
subscribe to one doctrine or one philosophy and take it to its logical end, you're going to run into trouble and you're going to run into contradictions. And like, that is what we just brought up or like, you know, like the classic trolley problem, right? That is the central issue with utilitarianism where you've got to solve for that calculus. Like how many people does it take for you to sacrifice your own life? Um, but I think this largely falls under like a humanism philosophy and because you were talking about religion, right? And religion being in this um, 21st century world that we're in today, religion largely becoming obsolete and people um, becoming a lot more atheist or if not atheist, at least agnostic or if not agnostic. A lot of people are just practicing religion for the useful fiction that it is, right? Um, that's what Jordan Peterson talks about a lot. Um, but today, I think with the rise of science and the enlightenment, the humanistic values um, and that's largely where utilitarianism comes from. It's largely where libertarianism comes from. Humanism is almost like the new religion. So instead of just valuing Lyndon because God tells me I should value thy brother or love thy brother, I value him because he's a human and he's got as much autonomy and agency as I do. And when I'm doing the calculus, like he said, the utilitarian math, um, we weigh out similar on that level so that is why i shouldn't kill him or steal from him not because of some quote-unquote arbitrary book um, so i think humanism covers a lot um, and yeah we mentioned utilitarianism um, like classical liberalism or libertarianism as well and again i think it's important to highlight that something was spoken about a lot recently is we're living in this western world you know like these weird Western educated, industrialized, rich and democratic societies where individualism is the North Star. And perhaps, you know, if we go to India, perhaps these conversations change quite a bit. Um, and I'm not valuing myself as much as I would value other people or the group interests. So it's important to, I guess, put that preface on all of this, that this is obviously coming from a westernized perspective. Um, but then again, it's like, what, do, what else do we know? Where, where, do, where do values come from? So it's a, it's a bit of a bigger question, but yeah. You know. mm. Three, four main categories you guys mentioned there. Okay, is anything else you guys wanted to that was top of mind? Um, I guess like to go religion, religion or philosophy, like Buddhism would be the closest thing that I would mm. describe to religion wise. But again, like a lot of people make the argument that that's more a philosophy than a religion, and. It, it is essentially just humanism and, um, you know, focusing on what is, on reality. Like, that is that is why I like Buddhism is because you're not really forced to believe anything that isn't there. It's merely just taking notice of what is. Um, but yeah, what you... yeah, it was, Josh sort of half-touched on the point I was going to make, like, probably beyond liberalism, utilitarianism and, and stuff like that, like we already mentioned, Anything else that I would reference as a philosophy or an ideology that I subscribe to probably wouldn't be typically considered a philosophy per se, but I do think just generally speaking, there is, uh, like maybe you'd call this realism, like I do think there is a, a real world and there are objectively better and worse ways to go about things and knowledge is basically the thing that separates us from better futures so that is kind of the essence of science but science is now kind of i guess tainted by the version that academia has produced 
like I guess the philosophy of science I really subscribe to, but the modern practice of it, it's a little different. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what I'd call that, but I guess I, I just, yeah, I think the acquisition of knowledge is important and there is an objective reality that exists outside of our heads. And sort of coming to terms with that is one of the most useful ways to mitigate suffering that goes on inside your head or inside the head of someone else. And that, that word, suffering, and speaking of Buddhism, makes me think of a book you guys, I, I assume, have read. And this, Sapiens, which was a very profound book when I read it. Um, and when it talked about Buddhism and uncovering the kind of the operating system of Buddhism uh, and talking about suffering, and it makes me think, I like asking a version of this question to people who read a lot. Uh, if you two could give away three books, you had an unlimited budget, so you could give away three books to every graduating high schooler, 17, 18-year-old, right? What would you give them? Well, I'm, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna start with and I'm going to start with sorry by crediting you for having one of the most used looking copies of Sapiens that <laughs> someone who has ever been around. Oh, I take my books around. They could, they, you know, it happens. Like the amount of people that have been like, yeah, I'm reading Sapiens, and I go <laughs> over to their place, and it's like they barely creased the cover off the first page. It's like, oh, it's like. Sorry, go on. No, no, that's a good point. Because is that just a nice coffee table book, or are you are you doing the reading thing? Uh, I feel like it was that and the subtle art of not giving a fuck that it was kind <laughs> of like, yeah, millennials and what what are we? We're not quite millennials, Gen Z or whatever. It's like yeah, this very popular thing. It's like yeah. everyone bought these books and twenty yeah. percent of people actually read them. Yeah, anyway, that's a good question um, though. What's all the books people a virtue signal that they that they read but they really didn't? What's that? That's another one. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I probably have quite yeah pessimistic views on that. So I'll, I'll try and stick to my humanitarian values. Right. Um, I am tempted to say it's really tough, okay, and as you no doubt know, but I would quite like to say Letters to a Young Contrarian by Christopher Hitchens, personally just because that was – quite formative for me and I think that I think that conveys a lot of important messages that it just kind of promotes like continual appraisal of what you're seeing is it the right thing to be seeing if it's not the right thing then you should speak up and just because other people around you aren't doing something about it doesn't mean you shouldn't so I think that sort of promotes quite progressive values and that's probably something I would hope to see coming out of high school students. While uh, younger individuals can certainly be criticised for how progressively minded they are without knowing their history, I think overall it's of net value that, you know, younger individuals are, yeah, quite progressively minded. It's also quite a short book, so given how my attention span was uh, when I was that age coming out of high school. Um, yeah, I think that wouldn't be a bad one. 
What about you, Josh? Give me some time to think about some yeah. more. Um, well, I might jump on one of those that you were going to recommend, but just in general, the author Thomas Sowell. So Lyndon started on Thomas Sowell and I got got me onto him from there. Um, but his book, um, A Conflict of Visions, I haven't read his main, uh, what's it? Vision of the Anointed. Vision of the Anointed, I think, is quite good. Um, better than A Conflict of Visions? Uh, Conflict of Visions is probably a little more bipartisan. Is that the, like, yeah. the, it's, it's a little more sort of neutral. Like, you definitely get his flavour of yeah. thinking. Um, both of them are good, put okay. it that way. Thomas Sowell, just like almost, almost anything from him, just in terms of like, again, taking on the perspective taking, but really like focusing on why you have the views that you have. Um, like, do you have evidence for your views, basically? So we, we talk about on the podcast, like the big three questions you need to ask if someone makes a claim that Thomas Sowell is famous for saying. Um, so it's like, if you make a claim, Alexander, I'm going to ask you, okay, compared to what, at what cost, and... Um, and what evidence? What hard evidence do you have for making that claim? So, but that that sort of encapsulates like his whole philosophy and his whole thinking, and that is a very easy way to squash um, a lot of a lot of flimsy ideas, not in other people, but in your own mind as well. Um, so, I would say him. I'm actually going to also say like the power of now. <laughs> um, just like I genuinely think it. You it laugh is, though. Why'd you laugh? Do you think there's a stereotype around it? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, because of the stigma around it, right? Like anytime you men- mention the power of now, people like roll their eyes, and you know they think it's woo woo and stuff like that. Um, but I think a lot of those people, and I, I, I thought that way before I read it as well. Um, but yeah, it is genuinely like a pretty mind blowing book, and there are some mind blowing concepts in there if you haven't encountered them before. Which again, like when I was eighteen, I hadn't. So I wish someone handed me that when I was eighteen. Um, do you want to go next again? Yeah, uh, I, I would second the power of now. Um, again, horribly cliched, but same sort of thing with like the corporate people skills training. Like there is good value in that. You just need to stop being so dogmatic about it, I think. Um, I'm torn. I've got, I've already said one and it's I've got like thing. three more. <laughs> ah, roll them out, roll them out. Okay, so I, I think some, like the blank slate would be really good for just having that general understanding of human nature, the blank slate by Steven Pinker, um, or really like anything by Steven Pinker, because his books probably aren't best read in isolation. Like the blank slate leaves you with a pretty good understanding, I think, of the science of human nature, but you might come away from it slightly jaded. But then his later books show you the like the great things that humans have created in order to mitigate their sort of the, the dark nature of human nature. Um, example, like we are all born very biased and with like preconceptions, uh, you know, not necessarily political ones, but like we are born to prioritize our own safety over someone else's and things like that. But then in our own perceptual limits. But, you know, we created science to help counteract these biases, knowing this thing would help, it would hurt us, but it would be good for us in the long run. So that's, yeah, I think 
even if you walk away from the blank slate being a little, yeah, pessimistic on humans, keep reading Pinker's work, I would say, and I think it it lifts from there. Um, but I think, yeah, the blank slate would be really good. Uh, Language and Thought and Action by S.I. Hayakawa. Um, that is just, I think, a phenomenal book because it does show just how intricately thought and language are are intertwined like the the words we use or our native language even forms the way we kind of think like josh sort of touched on like the western world thinks in a very similar way because we all speak sort of similar languages and they've shown that um in some of the cognitive science research having an ability to think in a second language like not even verbally communicate it but if you know if I'm mentally or cognitively thinking in in English and then someone said, actually, Lyndon, like think through this problem in Japanese, I actually come to different answers and often less biased ones, which is just crazy to think <laughs> that. So, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a... But pause on that because you talk about interpretation and perspective, like we just 10X'd that or yeah. whatever the many languages there are, you x that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so now the room for error and misinterpretation and even just different interpretation is huge. Dude, did you read um did any of you read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? Or I think Yeah, that was quite a while I guess I believe I did. It was quite a while ago, yeah. I think he has a little bit in there an anecdote on like some plane crashes that occurred because of communication between English and Japanese. Like you know, the, the Japanese being quite, um, like, uh, reserved and not wanting to speak up versus the Americans being quite obnoxious. And anyway, the crux of the story is that sort of, like, ends up in, like, some plane crashes. And um, But, yeah, just sort of speaking to the point that the communication, differences in communication can really manifest in a lot of crazy ways. Wow, that's a great point. I like that. <laughs> I'll say just building off the perspective taking is the kite runner, kite runner. A bit of a fiction book um i think that's a pretty graphic troubling story um fiction? it is i believe it's based on a true story but it is fiction um i think it from my perspective and my my very ignorant perspective it gives quite a good look at um middle eastern culture and just the tragedies that can occur in life, like it's not an easy book to read by no means at certain points, like halfway through, I was like, Oh my God, I love this book. It's so beautiful. Um, you know, kites are cool. Yeah. And then it, it can get a little, uh, hard emotionally, but I just read that the, there's a thing on Google. You can look up the tone of the book. The tone is both remorseful and nostalgic. That's the thing. Yeah, I, there I, you go. I don't really hear those things combined together in a book. Maybe, maybe that those are words that you felt. Or feelings. Yeah, when I think nostalgic, I'm thinking more like Tetris or Super Mario Brothers, not, <laughs> not the kite. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Any more to add, lads? Yeah, I will just add like more of a public service announcement book. Um, just one that I read recently called See What You Made Me Do by Jess Hill. Um, it's, it's about domestic abuse. Um, it was just published last year. It's one of a, it's won a lot of awards. Um, 
because I think, well, it quite clearly highlights just the national emergency that we ought to be in at the moment around domestic abuse. And um, again, like by us working in the field, uh, it is quite ubiquitous, but however, like maybe it's not something that is thought about and that there's a lot of political things and um, legislative issues with it, um, a lot of misconceptions going on around domestic abuse. Um, yeah, so I would recommend literally anyone and everyone listening or watching to read that. Okay, that's an interesting topic. Is there anything, because you're studying psychology, but I know you both are very interested in it. It's a big topic, but is there something that you can take away from that book or maybe someone's listening and they know somebody who's going through that or they are somebody who's going through that? Where do you begin to provide support or resources or courage to that or those people? Yeah, like that's a very large question and like I'm in, I'm in no means to like give advice, but from, from my perspective and what I can tell, I would say just like having patience with the person because, okay, so the common question that people will give or pose to someone experiencing domestic abuse is why does she why doesn't not why does she just not leave? Like that is the um, the stereotypical question that people will pose because the situation is right. A lot of people, typically females, not always, um, but the majority is females going through domestic abuse. They come back and back and back to the abuser. Um, they have these pseudo opportunities to leave. Sometimes they do leave, but they keep coming back. And everyone from the outside, and a lot of people, unfortunately, in the health space and um, the public sector or the you know the community sector that should be supporting these people, they get frustrated and impatient and just say, "Why doesn't she just leave?" But I think it's important to realize that there is so much. There is so much structural problems in Australia for people experiencing probably in other countries as well, but we'll obviously keep it to Australia, for people experiencing domestic abuse, that they can't just leave. Um, so I, I would just stress, like, just keep supporting them and giving them your time and patience. Um, and eventually, you know, they will hopefully be able to um, find that support. Um, and, you know, I think the system is going to slowly catch up to where the emergency or the crisis is. Um, but yeah, it, it is obviously a really hard thing and a really convoluted thing and something that needs like top down and bottom up, um, change. Mm, thank you. Anything you wanted to add, Lyndon, or you're, you're fine on that topic? Uh, I certainly can't comment too much or maybe just give a few more general, like one, I would just say that I really agree with what Josh said. And we are horrible uh, critics of other people's actions. And we think their life is so easy to navigate or direct from our you know, impartial perspective. And that sort of does come back to the fundamental attribution error a little bit, just like we are so blinded to what someone else is seeing. And we just think, oh, like if you just, you know, broke up with him and then applied for that job, like it would be so simple. Isn't it but, funny? What if we listened to our own advice? What if we treated the yeah. ourselves like we were treating our best friend or our dog? I see people feed their animals with more nourishment and yeah. treat them with more care than they treat themselves. And it's a... It's ironic. Eh? Yeah, it's like 
but that comes back to one of probably the most prevalent biases known as like the bias blind spot. It's just like, Oh, that's what that is. We, we can't even see where, what our own biases are. Like it's oh. so much easier for me to observe Josh's bias and go, actually, Josh is pretty good when it comes to confirmation bias, but he's horrible when it comes to the planning fallacy or like something like this. But Josh just being Josh, he doesn't know that. Like, because for Josh's brain to recognize what Josh's brain's thinking and what it's good and it's bad at, like that requires Josh's brain to, mm. to do. Like, it's just this really tangled and recursive mess. So while on average, we're pretty good at giving advice to people to use a sort of Thomas Stoll or, um, you know, Nassim Taleb kind of concept, like we have no skin in the game in that regard. Like, and we sort of just, we dish off advice like it's, you know, it's on sale sort of for us. It's like we're just giving it out freely on street corners and walk away. And if that causes an absolute, you know, marriage breakdown or, you know, something like that for someone, we wipe our hands of it and think, oh, well, that's, you know, that's not our fault, not what I said. I said it differently or something like that. So, yeah, I guess what I'm, I'm saying sort of two things there is like it's easier for us to see um, – the flaws in other people's behavior it's really difficult for them and they're also more in touch with the the incentives disincentives and the pleasure and the pain within the system that is not just them but their life around them so we should have some patience and Mm. yeah we also just give a lot more trash advice than what we realize because we don't stick around to check out the consequences um we talk a lot yeah. We What do they say? Uh one mouth, you know, you got one mouth and two ears, but we flip the ratio around with talking and listening. <sighs> Again, flaw we're great, flawed. Um but I want to backpedal a little bit. Uh, I talked about books um that you guys would recommend to graduating high schoolers. I did still want to really ask because this can be a different gateway for people. Some people just don't read. And I think there's other mediums of transmitting information that can be equally or more powerful. And I'm talking about movies, TV shows, and documentaries. And uh, to me, I interface with them like some people interface with like uh, psychedelic drugs. Like I, I really like get a, a lot of... Never know those people. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you get the feeling like I, uh, you can get a lot of thought provoking, life changing, philosophical, challenging messages from those mediums for you guys. Do you have an equal answer to a book? I'm oh, sorry, a, a movie, a TV show or a documentary that has really shifted the way you see the world and something you would recommend? Um, yeah, it's interesting. We talked about this recently about like probably not giving enough weight to different art and media forms yeah we're quite book bias right um one thing that springs to mind for me is the wire uh the classic american show about the drug war yeah because i think it 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 really does a phenomenal job of like highlighting the different incentives in place um and that highlighting the point that if you're in that person's shoes you would just be doing the exact same thing and it comes back to the perspective taking that we were speaking about right like it gives you the perfect viewpoint from each perspective so that you can sit back as the consumer of this fine art, the wire, and be like, oh, 
you know what the, the cop necessarily isn't a bad person like there's just all these incentives in place um to make him do what he did or like that drug dealer on the corner isn't a bad person necessarily they've just all these life circumstances in place to get them to where they're at today and they know nothing else and really have no other options um so i think that's maybe one of the greatest shows ever made and yeah i don't really have any others that spring to mind thank you i've got to watch that i haven't seen it and on the back of that um the Pablo Escobar uh, documentary. Well, it's like a it's like a live narcos. I don't know if you guys have heard oh, of that yeah. or seen that. Um, it's like a live action documentary on Pablo Escobar's career, or career, his life, and his <sighs> everything that went along with him. And I I, I, I resonate with what you're kind of coming across um, yeah. with how you felt about it, and. I it was very educational to mm. to me, and so I, I would go back and recommend that if you're interested in in uh, drug wars um, <laughs> or the chaos and things you can yeah, take definitely. from that. Um, Lyndon, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I will just follow up that. I think that's a good point. Um, but I think the wire. It's rated something like astronomically stupid on IMDb, so possibly like a 9.5, which is wow. un- almost unheard of. Like um, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. I yeah, think. something crazy. But the thing that I, I haven't seen tremendous amounts of it, um, I've actually tried to get into it multiple times and then just getting sidetracked other things. But the thing that I really enjoyed about it is it does actually take the glorification out of drugs a little bit, like a lot of um, content that is produced for, you know, people like us is that kind of oh look how cool it is to be a drug dealer yeah he pays the price at the end like something like blow um with johnny depp like it's it's seen as like super cool as especially if you just ignore like the last 10 minutes where he's in jail um whereas something like the wire i think hints a little bit more at that well you in middle class society and above can tell me it's bad to deal drugs but it's also really shitty to be locked out of society and to not have money to say provide for a family. And it makes perfect sense for me to deal drugs irrespective of whether you tell me it is bad. And that's sort of, I'm really generalizing and Josh is much more the wire expert than I am, but that's kind of what I think is important to convey is like there are rational, there's rational behavior um, that is going on that is still Quote unquote, well, sorry, there's quote-unquote rational behaviour that is going on that is still categorically unlawful, and that's something we need to solve. Um, the movies I'll say off the top of my head, I think The Matrix is just, like, super cool. I'm a real Matrix nerd, and I can't sort of disentangle now if it's actually a good movie for people to watch or I just love it. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think the whole, like, blue pill, red pill concept and just conceptually what The Matrix is is super cool, yeah. though... I think something really interesting about the matrix is like Morpheus presents Neo with the option of the blue pill and the red pill. And often we do have that kind of option, but other times in life, like life will just shove the red pill down your throat. And I think that comes back to the perspective taking thing a little bit as well is you can't put a young head. Oh, sorry. You can't put an old head on young shoulders. Like you can teach someone all the people skills in the world, but until life has like kicked them in the guts and the nuts a few times or, the female equivalent, sorry. Um, 
they won't be able to empathize as well with people. What's that's a great. Uh, I want to touch on that. What what's the moment for you guys? What's the kick in the nuts, red pill shoved down your throat moment in both of your lives? Hmm. Uh, so I probably have like three. This is something I was only literally thinking about in the the car ride here. Um, so it's a little bit top of mind for me. Um, the first thing was uh, the break my like parents divorcing, like the breakdown of their marriage, pretty ugly separation. Um, like I would say, very ugly, and that lingered around the small town for a number of years. So that sort of was pretty unpleasant and it was very eye-opening for me and saw people that I looked up to acting in ways that I thought was beneath them. The second thing I would say was the Black Sunday bushfires um, to, I will call them friends, I don't tr- like aim to derive sympathy from this, uh, to friends like my year level um, passed away because of the bushfires. Um, and that was very eye-opening, I think, again, for the town and just myself. It was like, mm. oh, used to go to school um, on the same bus as James. James will never be on this bus again, like that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, the the loss of my younger brother um, and the sort of different but ultimately very sad and troubling circumstances. So, yeah, yeah. Um, not to derail the the podcast too much and and talk about really sad and difficult things, but those have been very three impactful things in my life. And as I said, I was thinking about them yeah. on the way here a little bit. So uh, thank you, Lyndon. Thank you for for sharing them. Um, I think that's a, each story, each red pill moment, each like confronting moment could be its own half an hour conversation and in-depth and maybe we'll have that one day maybe you guys will dissect them on on your podcast one day too but josh what's your version of that i fail to pinpoint specific examples unfortunately but i would say i went through probably like a solid 18 months of just really dedicated focused intentional red pilling myself um just through yeah, again, like meditation, yoga, reading, writing, thinking, um, a lot of alone time, um, a lot of travel as well. I, I think it would be remiss if we didn't mention travel. Like that's probably quite a typical one, but I think it is really amazing for that perspective taking. Um, but, yeah, again, for myself, it was just literally about a year and a half of just actually thinking about these things in a really intentional manner and more importantly, practicing them as well on a daily basis and going through like really hard, tough times intentionally, like putting yourself through some discomfort, like Mm. sitting down to meditate is one version of that, but thinking about free will for three months straight was another version of that. And, you know, taking 170 micrograms of acid was another version of that. Um, and these were all like really transformative power. And yeah, I went on meditation retreat as well. That was like towards the back end of all of this. Um, but yeah, I think just an extended dedicated period of time where I was putting myself through this to come out the other side with, you know, something approximating some clarity. Uh, each one, that's another half an hour conversation for each <laughs> one, especially that acid one. That's, that's, 
a 12 hour day <laughs> yeah okay so it's a big day all right and maybe we'll do a round two one day uh and we'll talk about these things in more detail but to close the conversation actually talking about something we haven't really touched on much and something i talk about mostly with most guests but you guys have been in the industry and are still are in in in, in some ways and so what I like finishing these conversations with is if you had the podium to speak to every graduating personal trainer, coach, and exercise science, health science student in the country, you got a couple minutes each, what do you tell them? The reason you're doing this for a job is because it's something you enjoy and something that probably excites you and comes easy to you the people you will work with do not have the same luxuries it's going to be very difficult for them you need to be very patient and you will need to problem solve a lot if you actually want to be good at your job or if you just want to train and take selfies you will get plenty of clients that way but that is not fundamentally helping that many people that's mm. what that's I I, I like the succinctness and the conciseness and the mic droppedness of that. I'm always tempted to go even more succinct and say, if you're in it for the money, get the fuck out. (laughs) Um, However, like I would probably add, yeah, I just think be in it for the right reasons. You know what I mean? Like, how do you know? How do you know if it's the right reason? What do you feel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good question. I, I think like we've spoken about just reflecting and getting feedback and giving it a go. Like I, for most people, it's probably not going to be their whole career and that's fine. It wasn't for us. Um, but just giving it a go. And like one thing, funnily enough, we did learn from Woodford. We all did was just give it a crack, like have a crack. Don't be the guy talking about it, actually step up and have a crack. And um, then you can open your mouth. Um, and I think that was actually <laughs> one of the good lessons he shared. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, I really appreciate this conversation and I enjoyed the change of pace from what I typically have, which is more nuts and bolts, X's and O's and theory. But do you guys have any parting comments, thoughts, asks of uh, the audience listening? Um, uh, Nothing spring to mind. I just want to say thank you so much for having us. We really enjoyed the conversation. Pleasure. Um, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. I don't know. Nothing else really springs to mind for me. Or just, if not, just where people can find you guys and where you direct them to. Yeah. So the podcast that Lyndon and I host together is called Philosophy AU, one word. Um, it's on all your podcasting streaming platforms. Um, so give it a listen. We talk largely a lot about, yeah, just philosophy, but like we spoke about at the start, just taking away that, I guess, mental masturbation from philosophy on how we can make it actually pragmatic and improve our lives and using it as a tool to actually make some day-to-day tangible changes in our lives and the world. Um, that so- right there is the tag, should be the tagline because- It's <laughs> very close to what it is. <laughs> oh, perfect. Because selling yeah. philosophy or like, why should I care about being yeah. a better thinker? I feel like it's- so fundamental and important but a lot of people aren't aware ignorance is bliss type thing or they just don't care and so i'm so glad that that's the frame you guys are coming at it with because you lich everything in your life can become better your decision making your relationships your financial situation your like your well-being and everything and it's i'm glad you guys are uh heading that in that direction 
Yeah, thank you. Um, and then, yeah, the only other place I'm on is Instagram, which is just at Swiss Knife Life, one word. I looked up your Instagram and I saw some old 18-year-old uh, Josh yeah. Instagram. Um, I thought that was oh. old. Oh, right, right. No, so that, yeah, that's an old one. The one I'm currently on is, yeah, Swiss Knife, Swiss Knife Life. Got it. Lyndon? Let's connect. Um, yeah, I would like to start with again to saying thank you, Alex. And it's, yeah, it's been really enjoyable. And it's quite a quite a nice moment for, I guess, Josh and I to be asked to do this together. Mm. Like we've both, both done separate things, but to be almost recognised as a duo is quite nice. And I think, yeah, that that just highlights there is something a little bit bigger than just the individual. Like, mm. yeah, we really are nothing without relationships. Um, but probably one of the things I'll say is, and this ties back to you were talking about like interfacing with other, other forms of content rather than books. And something that I think really impacted me and I only have come to realize this more as time has gone on, but like the movie coach Carter, mm. like a lot of us got into the movie coach Carter because it was like, you know, it's athletic, it's to do with basketball It's kind of like American culture seems cool to, you know, young Australian kids and things like that. But like there is something so fundamentally important captured by that movie, I think. And it it's not until like, the names and where the students went after high school that like, like that's such a, a mic drop moment for me. It's like this person like Kenny Carter who had all the parents against him at some stage who wanted to end the lockout, like, and he got through to these kids who were on a pretty horrible trajectory and everyone was just trying to optimize their lives for the short term. And then at the end, it's like, you know, this person goes on to, um, X college on a basketball scholarship. This person turns into, um, you know, X, Y, or Z, got a job, had a family. And like, I think there's just something so cool about that. And yeah, I don't know, like maybe I think we should all, if you watch Co Coach Carter like 10 years ago, mm -hmm. like I think we should all go back and watch it and try and take a second on it. Um, but yeah, that, that was someone trying to make a pretty big, important change in, um, some pretty tragic lives. Um, and, and the change wasn't necessarily to play at a professional level and make money playing that sport, but no. there was there was another way to be successful. Yeah, the student comes before the student athlete. Like, <laughs> it's yeah, I think it's it's phenomenal. And, yeah, you make a really, really good point there. Um, but, yeah, if, like, I guess you're interested in hearing my waffling, as Josh touched on, you can find us on Philosophy AU. Uh, I also write for my own blog called Therefore Think. Uh, it's thereforethink.org. Um, again, very lengthy and waffly. I'm trying to trying to learn to write shorter pieces. Um, but have you heard of Have you heard about Wait But Why? No. Oh, maybe. okay. If you want waffly pieces, um, is that what I, am I is that my calling it the right? Yeah, Wait But Why. It's uh, by Tim Urban, who's been on. You guys may have heard of. That gives you an example of a hugely successful blog. Because I think people mm. tell me, it's like, oh, make it shorter, attention spans. Mm. I'm like, I just, almost out of spite, I'm going to make my shit longer. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to make three-hour conversations and podcasts now. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to talk, right? Just, <laughs> just like, okay. 
and I, this case by case where people, some of them outliers, prove that if it's good and it's quality and it's thought provoking and it's interesting and you maybe you get lucky a little bit, like there's a room for long form, in depth, thought provoking conversations and writing pieces. So I want, I almost when I hear that, I almost want to encourage you make them longer, make them as long as you know you desire. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I do agree with you. And probably to tie it back into the sort of student athlete concept, like the goal, I'm, I guess my primary goal is to make it like accurate and uh, like a fair depiction of whatever I'm trying to talk about. Okay. Over time, I would love to condense that and, you know, make it fit within someone's attention span, but I'm not going to try and write something catchy and sacrifice quality. Like it's, I'm going to make it quality. And if it's falling through the cracks or, you know, my perception of quality, then if it's falling through the cracks, then I'll pay that price. But yeah, I'd rather fall on one sword than the other, sort of, so to speak. Yeah. I, I, I think when you come at it with that perspective, it's like, I'm just want to make a great quality like product or service that solves my problem, something authentic to me. Um, instead of the, like Josh, uh, uh, you were talking about, the making money, like don't go into the industry if you just want to make money. It's like if you're just trying to do the thing just to get eyeballs on it and make money, that thing is, I don't know, there's something more empty about it. Like, you know, like within within you, in your mind and soul and heart, like you know, mm-hmm. like that that thing is not what it really could be if you were doing something that was purely congruent with your authenticity. I hope that makes sense. A lot of fancy words. And not, yeah, and like just that, not that we want to downplay the importance or the necessity of money because we both, we were talking about this the other day. Obviously, we need money. We live in this capitalistic society. Mm-hmm. We're in the free market. We totally. require money to get by. Um, you know, we spoke about the analogy of money just being like petrol on a road trip, right? Of course, you need it to get by, but you're not doing a tour of petrol stations. It's just something to help you get around on your real journey. Mm. Um, so obviously, we need money, and money allows freedom for us. Um, but yeah, I, I understand. I was just wanted to add that in as a bit of a caveat. No, it's totally true. And it's a good balance to the extreme point of view because you can't. You just you need to live as well. You need you mm. you have Maslow's hierarchy of needs to meet. But if you can do both, oh, mm. there's a magic in that. Yeah, yeah. And so I hope you guys like the podcast. It can be as successful and effective or whatever you guys want it to be. And maybe we'll talk in a couple of years' time. And mm-hmm. it's become everything and more. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Alex. And you're a pleasure. was some gobstopper questions. Yeah. These <laughs> I, are the th- I think we will need a few years' rest. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things I think about. It's... uh. And maybe maybe some conversa- conversations for you, your own podcast as well. Um, yeah. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the time and uh, look forward to speaking again one day. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Thanks man. All right. All right. See you, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Josh Kakataki and Lyndon, I'm gonna get his, Lyndon Purcell. 
Philosophy AU. You can look up, if you don't find them on their podcast platforms, look up Josh uh, Josh's name, um, which will be in the title of this podcast. And you can search that on Spotify or any podcast platforms. Bit of a change of pace from what we usually talk about. And I hope you guys enjoy that. Give us feedback if you want to, because typically we speak to health professionals, coaches, and other people alike to that in this field. But today was a change of pace. Pardon me. And at the end of the day, we're not just coaches. We're not just health professionals. We're not just personal trainers. You're not just the title. You're not just your title. You're a human being first. You're a person first. And having these conversations and and, and taking time to reflect and ask these types of questions and ponder these types of thoughts can be a great way to become a more effective professional in whatever field you are. So if you can become a better person, a better communicator, a better husband, a better wife, a better partner, a better citizen, and you can become a better at your occupation, at your vocation, And that's something that I try and preach and talk about and be about. You know, it's not just about reading the X's and O's and studying the science of the human brain and body, but also what's the history of our species look like and how can we learn from that? Thank you guys for listening. You can find all our podcasts, all podcast platforms. You can find me, Alexander Emanuel Sandalis, on anywhere on the internet. I've got my own podcast. Or you can find my coaching training page at Strength of Sard. And we will see you guys next Wednesday when these go live. Wednesday morning on YouTube, Facebook, and all podcast platforms. See you guys then.